This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me in the studio today are the Toledo Symphony's music director, Elaine Trudell. We also have principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. On the phone is the TSO president and CEO, Zach Vassar, and we have a very special guest. I have a fanfare for you. spend a lot of time putting these fanfares together. I'm actually going to introduce you via your Twitter profile. This is concert pianist, conductor, professor, NFTs, food and wine aficionado, cigars, bon vivant. Please welcome Awadajan Pratt. Welcome. Thank you very much. I, I would like that fanfare to just follow me around. That'd be really great every time I'm introduced. Just, you know, walking their own little fan, you know, like the, like the baseball players. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's, that's the intention. We're going to get the, uh, the brass section of the TSO to play that for us. Um, it was kind of like Copeland meets NBC Sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much what we do here. <laughs> so we are talking about a concert. It's happening uh, this Friday and Saturday evening, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style. Elaine is conducting. Awadajan Pratt is the piano soloist for a brand new piece by Jesse Montgomery. And we're going to talk about that as well as the other two pieces, the symphonies that are on the uh, program, the Symphony Number no. 5 of Ludwig van Beethoven, which we all know and love, and the famous Unfinished Symphony by Franz Schubert. But before we get to any of that, let's talk with you, Awadajan, and let's get your story. I've got a little music here to sort of set the scene. Tell us the story of how you got interested in the piano and the violin and conducting and all of that, how you got to where you are now. Let me, uh, actually, you have a choice. Do you want... Uh, kind of peaceful music in the background, or do you want more energetic music in the background? Um, let's just go with peaceful, I think. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, maybe not that. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you wish for. There's a little sure, Goldberg. Glenn? Oh. <laughs> I don't know who it is. It comes from Deutsche Grammophone, but they don't say who the... Because all the all the music I use is licensed, you know, for the podcast. Okay, let's hear our Dodge and Pratt's story. Go ahead. So my story: I was born in Pittsburgh, uh, moved to Normal, Illinois, which is um, the real uh, place um, <laughs> in Central <laughs> Illinois. When I was three, I started piano lessons. When I was six, which um, it was great, and then I started violin when I was nine, um, after graduating from normal community high school. I started my studies at University of Illinois. Um, I was actually a violin major at Illinois and took piano with a grad student. Um, eventually, I studied with some of the piano faculty there, and then I transferred to Peabody Conservatory. In a Peabody, I ended up with degrees um, undergraduate degrees in violin and piano and a graduate diploma in conducting. And um, my career started in uh, 1992. Um, I won the Nauberg uh, International Piano Competition in New York. 
And that was, this is, here we are, 30 years, 30 years and a few months later. Mm. That's the abridged story of <laughs> Well, as a violinist, I'm, who had very little aptitude for the piano whatsoever, I'm intrigued. There must have been kind of a, a moment where the two instruments were kind of hanging in the ba- balance. And what made you step away a little bit more from the violin and more towards the piano? Yeah, I um, at the time, you know, I I, I came to uh, sorry to Peabody. I was you know I was a pretty good violinist. I had because I'd been a violin major the whole time, and I just actually come from uh, Meadowmount uh, School mm-hmm. for Strings in Upstate New York that summer, it's like a violin boot camp. Um, and uh, but you know, very quickly, um, I I don't know how it happened, frankly, but in the in the uh, spring of that year. I tied for first in the piano competition, concerto competition at the school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Peabody, you know, Leon Fleischer was there. So, was, you know, there were a lot of really great experienced, you know, young pianists there. And I was just kind of surprised to everyone because I wasn't studying with him. And, and I don't know how it happened. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, very quickly for me, at least, you know, I, I never had, I don't know how it is with you, but I upposed to Spiccato was a problem for me. There were all these, you know, I, I wanted to play Beethoven and Brahms, and I didn't want to play Vinyavsky and Paganini, and it seemed like you had to be able to play some to to start having a way in the violin world, and I just um, I just sort of refused to do it. So um, my energies after I graduated with my undergraduate, undergraduate diploma was actually in a string quartet with some friends and did that for about one semester, but I just I couldn't carry on anymore. And it became apparent that, you know, I never wanted to play in an orchestra. You know, I wanted to either solo or play chamber music. Um, but I just started, you know, gravitating more towards towards the piano and conducting. So I still play the violin a little bit. Um, I, I, I play some chamber music here and there. And like for benefit concerts, if somebody's playing over $100 per, their, per seat, then there's a chance that I might be playing the violin. We'll, we'll keep that. We'll keep that in mind. That'll be a great uh, a little encore. Walk out with your violin on, on this weekend. I, I do want to uh, just give a shout out to Normal Illinois because that's a real place. Everybody, don't laugh because you know I'm from just upstate of there in Moline, Illinois. That was my hometown, so I've been to Normal many times. You know where Moline is, right, Abadajan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's my hometown. There's a penitentiary there, right? <laughs> yeah, my home penitentiary. <laughs> they let me out just somewhere, from... my friend. You are depriving a penitentiary of its inmate, oh, no, right? Juliet, I was thinking of Juliet. <laughs> yeah, Jul- that's actually where I was born. Uh, oh, anyway, wow. <laughs> in in the penitentiary? Not in the penitentiary, but I was born in Juliet, <laughs> and I grew yeah. up in Moline. Anyway. Awadajan, can you tell us about this piece that Jesse Montgomery wrote for you? It's called Rounds, and you're bringing it to the uh, Toledo Symphony this weekend. I wonder if you can give us a little background on that. Yeah, so Rounds is part of a commissioning project that um, I started uh, with the Art of the Piano Foundation. We have seven composers that wrote for me in, in, in various combinations. So it was either solo piano or piano and string orchestra, or piano string orchestra with a room full of teeth, which is this amazing vocal ensemble. Yeah. And um, the unifying element was uh, from T.S. Eliot's four quartets, um, lines from Burnt Norton, essentially at the still point um, of the turning world, there the dance is. 
And um, so all the composers were given that, you know, sort of the foundational um, aspect of, of the composition. Um, Jesse's piece is really um, embodies that uh, in, in multiple ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a piece that people, you know, audiences love, a high-energy piece, really kind of vigorous energy um, that flanks, uh, you know, the two sides of that, two, sorry, two appearances of that material flank an inner section, a middle section, which kind of reflects that still point um, that's incredibly, you know, it's deeply affecting. It's really beautiful. Um, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, you get the score, you play through it a little bit, you um, look through it, and I thought, oh, this could be really, you know, a special spot. And then the premiere was in Hilton Head in um, in the end of uh, March. And after the first night, you know, I was talking to some of the musicians in the orchestra, and there were a couple of them where they were like, you know, my, my parents were there, um, and they said it was like the most beautiful thing they'd ever heard. Or another one was like, you know, my mom was there and she was crying. And, and mm-hmm. so it's amazing to have, you know, um, a new piece have that effect on people who are, you know, obviously they go in, they're like, don't know what they're going to get. And so it's the piece is able to get to them directly and immediately. It doesn't require multiple hearings um, to have an effect on people. So it's really, it's been, mm-hmm. this is going to be, I think, number 14, uh, 14th set. Uh, since since the uh, uh-huh. since that premiere in, in March, bring yeah. it to bring it to people. So I just had a quick question because I know that Jesse, like yourself, is an extraordinarily accomplished violinist. Um, yeah. Did she consult with you about the cadenza? Did you did you help her with that, or did you let her have free reign? How did kind of the cadenza come in? So she was working on the cadenza when the rest of the score was submitted. And, um, I have a practice, uh, of, of improvising in my recitals and things like this. And, um, I, uh, once as she was working on it, um, I said, you know, I sent, I sent ideas. I sent her like a, a sound file of what I had been working on in terms of the cadenza. She's like, that sounds good. And then about two days later, I sent another file of like other things I had. And she's like, that sounds good too. And she was at that point, you know, just why don't you take it over? And so the cadenza is mine. It's, um, I would say in performances that it's, uh, between, depending on the night, 10 to 30% improvised. Um, and there's some, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's had a few different kind of evolutions in terms of, what what are the what are the ideas and materials that I uh, from the piece that I uh, manipulate? Um, but it seems like it's also a nice you know um, it's not a weak link in the piece. I'll put it that way. <laughs> so there's always that like oh my god, what is he doing? Um, but it seems to work out pretty well. Well, I mean that kind of gets back to the original idea of a cadenza in the first place that it changes a little bit and and is modeled after you know where you're presenting it, who you're presenting it for. That's correct. Yeah. Now, Jesse, was this her first uh, piano piece that she's written? Yes, her first. She wrote a piece for uh, I think it was uh, originally clarinet and piano, but this was her first piano solo piece. Um, there were a few things that you know. Once I had this score that we adjusted, just in terms of what register things were in for what kinds of colors she was looking for. Um, mm. But generally, it's it's good writing for the piano. 
Wonderful. I know that you have to uh, go fairly soon. I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, I, I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions on the way out the door here. I, I mentioned your Twitter profile earlier, and uh, yeah. a burning question here. What, what does it mean when it says NFT, NFTs? Oh, you know, I, I've been um, non-fungible tokens. So I've been playing around before this sort of NFT market kind of crashed a little bit. I was playing around with an idea of releasing a couple of things, working with a couple of different artists, because um, it seems at the moment so art-centric. Um, but that's the, the artist that I really want to work with is, is, is occupied with some other stuff right now. He's actually mm. my nephew. Um, um, Emmanuel Pratt Clark, he's got some beautiful things out there. Just a little plug for him. But uh, so <laughs> eventually he and I will collaborate on something. Yeah, nice. You can do an album of all encores that, that are only on that particular uh, digital file. That's, that's, that is sort of along the lines of what, what's being conceived. Nice, <laughs> nice. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it Yeah, we heard it first. Yeah. Our Dodge and Pratt is appearing this weekend at the Peristyle. It's uh, November 4th and 5th at 8 o'clock p.m. Performing music of Jesse Montgomery, rounds for piano and string orchestra. Elaine Trudell conducts also music of Franz Schubert and Beethoven. Our Dodge and uh, I know you have to run, but thank you so much for taking a little time and saying hi to our listeners and giving us a little backstage pass. Looking forward to being back in Toledo again, as I've always had a great time there and working with the orchestra, and i um, very much looking forward to it. Thanks very much. Looking forward. So that was really nice to have uh, Awadaj and Pratt talking to us a little bit about his appearance here at the Toledo Symphony and the fact that he's been here before. And Zach, I know that uh, you're a fan as well. Uh, have you uh, interacted with him in the past? You know, I was 15 years old when I saw Awadaj and Pratt play for the first time. And it was the Emperor Concerto with the Toledo Symphony and Andrew Massey. And there was something about the performance. I can't remember the circumstance, but I, I, I believe he either didn't have a rehearsal with the orchestra or he didn't have a full rehearsal. There was something, um, I think he had a, um, something, a, a family emergency come up, but he still made it for the concert. And I just remember sitting in the peristyle and listening to that gorgeous, aching slow movement in the Emperor Concerto and realizing how much I appreciated the artistic experience that he could come into town with little to no rehearsal and just fire off this wonderful concerto. And it was just, it was dazzling and magical. It was kind of one of those magic fairy dust moments in the peristyle for me. And I, I did have the chance to meet him after the concert. And I confess that I didn't care for the Brahms intermezzos and I think that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> um, but I uh, I do remember um, getting a copy of his album, which was probably brand new at the time, The Long Way From Normal on EMI. And it finishes with that um, Bach Bisoni uh, Chacon mm -hmm. um, transcription. And gosh, for a 15-year-old music nerd, I, I go right back to you know my old bedroom on Kenwood Boulevard <laughs> listening to that over and over and over again. 
Um, but I, I just love that, you know, later in, in, in my career and his career, I can, I can come back together with him at the Peristyle. Yay! Uh, this is the first time you've worked with him, right, Elaine? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, very, very impressed. And uh, yeah. I think there's going to be some good music at that concert. Yeah, absolutely. I had some other things I wanted to ask him about, but he had to go. Um, you know, this is a guy who's played for a couple of different White House administrations. Mm. He's been on Sesame Street. He's done a lot of cool stuff. And we might mention, you know, he has a great fashion sense. You're not going to see him in a, in a tux and a jacket. You're not going to see him even on a normal piano bench, I guess. He plays like on a little stool so he can <laughs> have the piano at, at face level. But the important thing to remember, though, is that, is that the music is still world class. Because uh, sometimes yeah. people have all these other interests and yeah. all these other things, and people tend to forget that, you know, to get yeah. this far into this business, you need it's a... Uh, Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how you dress. Uh, like you, you have some pianists, like some um, some some women uh, who, who dress like with very short skirt things like that. But if they play like crazy, it's yeah. like that's what you're supposed to focus on. And that like, you go like, wow, you've really earned this. No, you know? we don't care about the music. We we want to know why he wear, uses that stumpy <laughs> stool, right? <laughs> well, it's kind of like uh, Glenn Gould did the same thing, and you know, I think when when he was first doing that in the '90s, you know, it probably looked like a, a throwback to Glenn Gould. But you know, there is something to be said for being lower to the keyboard, and um, he certainly makes great effect of it even now, all these years later. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It'll be great to see uh, as well as listen to. And, of course, I was kidding, Elaine, yeah. about, <laughs> about the music. Um, now, Beethoven Five, you've conducted this before. I saw you conduct this with the Toledo Symphony. This is a celebration of your five years with the mm -hmm. TSO. So let's talk about that. Take us back to that first time that you played Beethoven Fifth here and how it differs from what you're doing now. So uh, I'm going to be very candid about a few things, so you okay. might enjoy them. But uh, <laughs> so my um, so I, can I put some music for you? Nice, no. good tempo. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, you know, I came a few times. We played the one time we played Tchaikovsky's Fourth. Another time we played the uh, first time Shirazad, then the Symphony Fantastic, and finally I was named as music director. And my first concert as music director, so I, I had been here before, right? So yeah. my first concert as music director was uh, that was Beethoven's Fifth to start. That was our opener, and then we had, oh no, sorry, we had a, a piece by um, Christopher Dietz. Oh, Fantastic, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And then we had Beethoven Fifth, and then with the ballet, with the Toledo Ballet, we had excerpts from Swan Lake. It was a, it was a very nice concert. But the thing I have to say is that, you know, you come in and you make some decisions right off the bat. Uh, that's okay, now I'm music director. I'm going to switch everybody in the orchestra. <laughs> Because none of my, I have an idea. Like usually, I place the orchestra a certain way. Yeah. When you come as a guest, you, you don't you don't move things around too much, you know. So when you, when you say switch, you mean move them on the stage, not like get rid no, no. of players and <laughs> replace them. No, right? it, it was really weird. I had to play French horn for that concert. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. Right. I know. I, I was playing the gong. There's not even a gong part. No, no, no. But seriously, folks, <laughs> I I put all the name in the hat. 
and then I'm central. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, no, it's just that I like to have the in that repertoire the first and the second violins on each side of the stage. Yeah. People have been coming to the orchestra for the last five years. They noticed that on the for the the classical and the early romantic repertoire, and so, you know it goes quite a bit into the rom- romantic repertoire as well. So first switch, uh, sorry, the the first change. Uh, well, Merwin <laughs> had a big one to do. He had to yeah. go on the other side of the stage, and I put the basses in the back. Of wow. the orchestra, which they really didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of found out as the week was going on. Put, put the like percussion it. in the front, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So anyway, since I, you know, it's, it's normal. You want to optimize the space, the hall, but uh, you know, I uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yeah. So if I look back at that first uh, week, official week. I, I could have done a little bit less of moving po- people around. I could have kept the bass on the side. And finally, we found the sweet spot for them, and it's not in the back of the orchestra, you know? Mm-hmm. It's on the side. Often, what, when we play with the, we call split violins, it's, the, it's not that they broke up, right? If you want to stay the same, uh, <laughs> the same ideas you had before. Right. Now we play on each side of the stage, which is normal because in Beethoven, and like in Mozart, like in Haydn, a lot of the, what they play is the, the less in Beethoven, but is uh, often the same music but it's just to have the polyphonic effect the, the stereo effect you know of having violins on each side so that that's a big thing but uh, it's interesting like even though even though with all the experience i had already i still make that kind of rookie mistake at the beginning of changing too many things on my first week you know <laughs> it's not to live and learn right i already had like uh, tons of music directorship before i mean people i mean I shouldn't be saying that, right? I should just saying, "Oh, it was wonderful." And all that. But I that I could have done a little bit, a uh, bit better. And I, you know, you live and learn. Uh, concert was very good. I mean, that's fine because they're a really great orchestra. It's the music that counts, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, none of it, that. That for me, that that's something that stuck out on that that first week. That I you know, went home and was like, "Oh, you know, Ale, maybe you did a bit too much that week." You know, uh, Zach, I want to hear your version of the story because I think Elaine is being well, a little too self deprecating here. Uh, he is Canadian, but that comes with the territory. Um, yeah, yeah. So, no, but one thing, Alain, that you haven't mentioned is that we also had to push the orchestra, um, quite a bit away from the edge of the, the stage because we had the, the floor out for the dance that would happen after intermission. You, you had, you had people playing in different parts of the stage, but you also had everybody kind of jammed far (laughs) into the corner. So I think, you know, I remember optically it looked different. I mean, first of all, you were music director, but second of all, everybody was shoved over in the corner. Um, but the, uh, I just remember by the time we got to the fourth movement, um, holy cow, I just remember the brass came in with that phenomenal entrance of the fourth. And um, I, I just felt like now we're going to be on to something. You know, I felt like that was you know such a special first performance, um, not only because you brought in a local composer and our friends at the ballet with whom we had not yet merged, but it was such a, a nice thumbprint for you to kind of look into the future and what we can enjoy. So as much as you might have some moments where you don't feel like it was exactly what you had hoped to achieve um, or you changed too many things, I look at it as a wonderful opportunity to to look into the future of our relationship with you. And now we get to look back and, you know, I just think that's such a, a great opportunity. So thank you for reprogramming this. I think this might be your first reprogramming. 
Yeah, and I, I just want to say that that first concert was a perfect representation of what Elaine has brought to Toledo. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of the familiar and the new, the local and the global, the historic and mm-hmm. the contemporary. All of those things, I think, encapsulates uh, what Elaine has been doing with the symphony over the past five years. Merwin, were you put off by being moved to the other side of the stage? I think it's not so much being put off by moving to the other side of the stage, but the fact that it is one of the scariest pieces on Beethoven's Fifth to be a principal second violinist. Why is that? Uh, because when you you hear that, if you hear those first notes in your head, that's what the full orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next one. Oh, should I keep going? Keep yeah. going. Oh, hang on. And then that's what. The, that's this the first. Is the, one. But this now. <laughs> that's just the second violins. Really? And, and pulling so that. So everybody yeah. stare at Merwin when we get to that point, <laughs> but, right? The thing that's really tricky is that um, it is a moment where the conductor and the entire second violin section, but, but the principal second violin, you know, the buck stops there, right? Like mm-hmm. um, most of the time when you have an entrance that comes in off of a beat, off of a downbeat, there is somewhere in the orchestra where that beat bounces Mm -hmm. but here all it is is right off the conductor's ictus right there Mm -hmm. and so if i misread that if i miscommunicate that with my section it's also a part where people kind of know this part (laughs) (laughs) you know i've heard it before so they're gonna know if you mess up exactly so it is it is something that it, it was not so much where I was on the mm-hmm. stage, but it's an important moment, mm-hmm. uh, and it's an it was an important moment in the lens tenure. It's certainly an important moment in creating and building trust between mm-hmm. section leaders and you know mm-hmm. and a new music director. And it was it was something that was, you know, I, what the very first time I was um, performing with the orchestra was. Um, a constant input in Bay, and my biggest concern was making sure I could turn pages outside. This was a little <laughs> bit different. Yeah. <laughs> All of this being said, I mean, it went very well. It's fine. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, exactly. We it, don't want to make it sound like a no, disaster. No, 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 but, but I no. thought, you know, we know each other, so, you know, I, okay, we, we can discuss about those things. I mean, it's oh, interesting yeah. also. I mean, it's, it's very good, and now we're very much used to that position, so mm, it's not yeah. a, it's not new anymore. So that's one of the things that's great about doing it again a few years after is that we've had all this experience of playing in the, the different positions like that and and especially with the violins on, on each side that's a that's a big difference you know and I, I, when you have a few years under your belt like that and and it's not just the principal it's the entire section because yeah. if you're the second let's say you're the last desk of the the second violin which for me I always say to the orchestra I like the sound come as a wave so the back of the wave you know coming up and submerging us like that so they have very important position in the back mm-hmm. so where you create all that sound yeah, like the tsunami is back there right? <laughs> yeah, yeah right something like that <laughs> but um that's for them if they're if they're sitting next to each other you're, you know, maybe uh, three feet n- next to somebody. If you're sitting over there, you're half a football field from the the last one of the first violins. Wow. You know, so it's it's challenging that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More so, what the composer intended, and mm-hmm. but also a significantly greater challenge for those players, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, you know. Zach, you want to jump in? 
Well, it's just interesting to think about it because, you know, we, we think about Beethoven being deaf, you know, having, or at least when he wrote the Fifth Symphony, certainly hearing challenges. He sets this up to be a very complicated execution. Um, even now, <laughs> all these years later, it still challenges musicians. I mean, it's just the, um, the genius is so incredible to, to, to behold. And I, I just love that we're still talking about how to play this opening 30 seconds well. <laughs> <laughs> what was Beethoven's so, 1770 to 1827, is yeah, that right? Yeah. yeah. See, I learned something in college. <laughs> Eight years of college, I could have been a brain surgeon but, by but, now. But there's 35 minutes after that, right? So that's, that's <laughs> yeah, quite that's right. Something like that. And also it's an important symphony for me because I'm a trombone player and it's really the, the introduction to the trombones in the orchestra. Mm -hmm. The official introduction, like you have Mozart Requiem with a trombone solo, but it's not a symphony, it's a requiem. But in a symphony, like a big symphony, a big composer, so Beethoven's Fifth is the first time that we call upon them. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's very challenging music. Also, the alto trombone part is very high, and it's of course they all yeah, guards sound great. They all play great. So it's uh, I I totally trust all of them. So it's, uh, it's have very you enjoyable. smiled at the brass yet? Well, uh, that part, like as a player, when I was in the orchestra. I would think like when we get to that part, don't look at me too much. Let, let me do my thing. And we'll look at each other a little bit later on when we have like a Giocoso things that are that are with done. great joy. No, yeah. no, no. But I mean like, you know, when you get the pam, 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 get the ta, 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 right, ta, ta, the very end. So, 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 yeah, that thing. Last movement. Yeah, exactly. At the end of, the, yes, of course. Miller you, time, you Beethoven yeah. style. <laughs> you can. Or, you, or should I say Molson time since we're, in, <laughs> I'm outnumbered by Canadians here. Yeah. So yeah, but at the beginning you you leave them alone a little bit. They do their thing and it's a it's fine. You don't want to like start the entrance. You know, it's like I'm busy over here. Like, don't leave me alone. I understand the way brass player thinks. You know, yeah. but but the minute you start, then it's fine. And we communicate and it's good. I mean, every section is different. You know, like oboe players, they communicate all the time. You conduct them, and they're no, no, all the time, and they're used to that because they have this leadership position. First horn, as as much as they're a brass player, but they're also so much into everything and musically all the time that you know you need to be able to have some eye contact constantly with them. Uh -huh. you know? And, and I thought I was just making a joke, but Elaine took that football and ran with it, right? <laughs> or that soccer ball and kicked with it. However, you want to make that analogy, kicked with it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I want to talk briefly about that opening theme, right? Mm -hmm. Because we hear, you know, fate knocking at the door. I also have heard, like Carl Cherney, his student, wrote down that, that he heard a, a bird song while taking a walk. There, And I went back and listened. I don't have it here, but I went back and listened to the bird call of the yellowhammer bird. And it's interesting because it has a bunch of notes that it pops out, like dee 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 dee, and then it has a dee and Beethoven got the idea for the opening of his symphony from that bird call. What do you guys think of that? I'm not making this up. You <laughs> no, know. no, I, I know, I know. You know, I mean, same as in Messian, you know, all those those inverses. And so it's a little scientific inverted six, you know, like in so I get it. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're, that bird, it's that bird, you know. Oh, it's I, a yellow it's a little, hammer, yeah. a little exotic, you know, depending on which country or continent you live in, right? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I mean, you get inspired by something, it, it triggers something, but it's not the finality of it, you know. Actually, it's interesting because. The rhythmic figure of three shorts and a long pervades all three pieces on mm -hmm. this program, like the 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 oboe solo. 
in the Schubert, yeah, in the beginning. Schubert, and then rounds has this the dum ba 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 all the way through as well, like a fast bolero. But like it's this rhythmic figure, which is so identified with Beethoven, really actually kind of unites the entire concert. But and we thought about that when we put it together, right? We totally did. Yeah. But the thing is, like. It's not so much the genius in in this particular symphony is not that theme. It's it's there, there's almost kind of you know, I there's this like weird show on like on Fox now. This like building things out of Legos. Mm-hmm. It's taking this very simple mm-hmm. concept and you're building something out of Legos and you're making something amazing. And the thing that's gr- so amazing with this symphony is that the process. Is obvious to the listener. Mm-hmm. You watch you watch him take this Lego block and just pile them and pile them up and create this edifice. So whether the Lego block was originally yellow or red or a cardinal or a yellow hammer mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a weird way, it's almost immaterial simply because it's mm-hmm. what he does with that. Yeah. It's just amazing how he, how he constructs. Yeah, that's interesting. Elaine, let me ask you, we're celebrating your uh, five years with the Toledo mm-hmm. Symphony with Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. What are you going to do for 10 years? Well, I, you know, that's uh, I'm aiming, uh, hopefully, and people still want me around. But that's one of the reasons why I put the Schubert in program, because it's unfinished. We have ah, unfinished business together. I get so, it. So, so nice. I put the unfinished symphony. So, so we are in our unfinished symphony together, you know? I was thinking maybe think you that. could do uh, uh, Beethoven's 10th, which is actually Brahms' first. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I recorded once Beethoven's uh, Concerto Number Zero. And really? it's still right. somewhere in a vault at the CBC with Anton Corti. It's somewhere they have to put it together. It's a, but it's a, yeah, it's a. Oh, so the violin concerto for no, piano? No, not or? at all. It's a concerto that uh, precedes all the concerti. Oh, okay. He wrote the piano music and uh, not some orchestra, but they put it together. So anyway, just talking a bit though. Interesting. Tempt, yeah. So we could do that as a concerto, a Tchaikovsky Seventh Symphony later on. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Schubert. You yeah. mentioned it as unfinished. Mm-hmm. Obviously, on the surface, you mm-hmm. have unfinished business, what have you. I mean, there's a lot of questions that are raised by the unfinished symphony. I mean, it's not something that he unfinished because he died, right? He lived for another six years mm-hmm. or whatever. He wrote a ninth symphony. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. There's so a, well, there's another I, symphony in there. Yeah. Yeah. I just presumed it was just laziness or, you know, classic procrastination. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that about Schubert, really, for the amount of work he wrote. For You're going to get the Schubert police after you. All those songs, 600 songs. But, you know, talking about that symphony, uh, you know, that there's a version that of the scherzo that was completed after. Once I conducted the Schubert completed symphony wow, in a uh, yeah, previous uh, life, which was those two movements. The, the scherzo that the musicologists say, the scherzo that goes with this, that somebody finished, all right. And then the Eintracht Rosamond, which, uh, yeah. Yeah? yeah, and that, that's been known as the, the, as the finishing of the Schubert uh, eighth, but there's nothing that could match those first two movements. I mean, this is level of Beethoven. This is a level of Mozart. Well, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and it's not just the music that makes it wonderful. It's the craftsmanship with, with the orchestra, yeah. pairing the flute and the oboe the way he does yeah. on that line you were singing earlier, yeah. Merwin. 
You know, yeah. that's like a, a, a do not do when you're exactly. studying orchestration. Yet Schubert made it work perfectly and makes perfect sense. And you know, after that, who came back with, with that and then a bit more expand on that smaller. Yeah. You know, and uh, ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it came back on that very inspiring to him. I mean, this is a sound, it's haunting. Huh? Mm-hmm. When you hear fa, si, la, si, do, fa, when you hear that, mm-hmm. whoa, you know. It's it's haunting, yeah. and the reason it's haunting is because of that pairing that you just mentioned. Then it comes back, and it's oboe and clarinet. Yeah. Right, know? right. It's, it's like, just... uh-huh, okay. So it's getting a little bit more human, a little bit fatter, a little bit than the sound, and then the chords are are more accomplished chords. I mean, this is a work, incredible, one of my favorite, favorite pieces of music. I mean, you know, I it's celebrating my 50s, and I want to indulge a little bit here and there. <laughs> but this, I thought, it's, first of all, great pairing, you know, Beethoven mm-hmm. and uh, Schubert. Uh, Schubert, who thought so highly, he was Beethoven's Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write that down. Right. He thought so highly of him, you know, and, yeah. and so little of, him, of himself, you know. It's like, yeah. oh, it's a little sad sometimes. But, you know, what he left us was, well, and that symphony was almost, you know, that and the ninth are great. Uh, a C major symphony are almost lost, you know, until somebody find them in the, a drawer somewhere. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, I don't know. yeah, but, lots of theories abound as yeah. to why it was unfinished. I will say that, as I mean, Beethoven, Shostakovich being my favorite composers, but in terms of kind of the high point, those last three, four years of Schubert's life, there is there is no more sustained creativity and greatness than those last years of schubert and maybe if you're if you're thinking what's the greater loss um it's it's horrible to say this it's it's almost sacrilegious to say this with mozart having died so young but i feel like the lost music was greater when schubert passed Mm. away because the just the meteoric ascent that Schubert was on in his last quartets, his last symphonies, those those final song cycles are heartrending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like, I mean, to imagine that we only ever got early Schubert and early middle Schubert. Mm-hmm. We never mm-hmm. got a middle mm-hmm. period Schubert. To imagine how great that could have been based on those last three years you know and, and I mean, the mantle the, of schubert really taken up by yeah. people like schumann and you know mm-hmm. with, with their song cycles and, and piano you, music you take the, i mean the un- unfinished symphony as you talked about just so and it's i mean, we we can't that i i will i'll you know really respectfully disagree agree, disagree with what you just said because i don't think anybody successfully took up that mantle yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think there was ever a next shoot. He attempted to take up yeah, the mantle. Yeah, for sure. But those that the unfinished symphony, in a way, is the perfect metaphor for his legacy because, oh my <laughs> gosh, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. amazing was coming. You guys, speaking of all this talk about Schubert and Beethoven and what have you, and I have a, a little quiz here. You thought you were going to escape the quiz, but... I thought... We did. We, we did. <laughs> it, it's kind of come to the point where if we don't say something about it, it's kind of like when you hope the teacher forgets to give you the homework assignment. <laughs> the teacher did not forget. <laughs> we're bringing him apples every time and he doesn't yes. give us a break. <laughs> so I've got... Uh, a bunch of different quotes here, and you just tell me if it's Beethoven or Schubert, okay? It's really easy, really simple. <laughs> of course. This, simple. Is our, this is the first BS quiz you've had on this show. <laughs> yeah, it's a BS quiz. 
totally. <laughs> totally. Well done. Um, so we're not going to go back and do the answers until the end, okay? Kay. So you can keep track as we go along. Let me get up some quiz music for us. Everybody ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go. The first quote is, Nothing is more intolerable than having to admit to yourself your own errors. Second quote, Beethoven can write music, thank God, but he can do nothing else on earth. Third quote, I am in the world only for the purpose of composing. Fourth quote, whenever I tried to sing of love, it turned to pain. And again, when I tried to sing of pain, it turned to love. Next one is, happy is the man who finds a true friend, and far happier is he who finds that true friend in his wife. And I'll give you one more before we take a break here. Only the pure in heart can make a good soup. <laughs> yes, the BS cookbook, right? <laughs> okay, so let me bring the music back down. And now, did was this easy or, or not easy for you? Honestly, I think I only know for sure one of them. Really? Yeah. What do you say, Elaine? I say one or two. Yeah. Zach, you got them all? Of course. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's go back and I'll tell you what they were. Nothing is more intolerable than having to admit to yourself your own errors. That was Beethoven. Yay. Everybody get Beethoven? Yay. I did not. Okay, Merwin. Wow, you didn't get it. Wow. Beethoven can write music, thank God, but he can do nothing on earth. Nothing else on earth. That was Beethoven. (laughs) Beethoven. Yes. That was Beethoven writing about himself in the third person. Okay. I am in the world only for the purpose of composing. Schubert. That was Schubert. Wow. Elaine's going to clean up here. Whenever I tried to sing of love, it turned to pain. And again, when I tried to sing of pain, it turned to love. That was the only one I was sure of. It's Schubert. (laughs) Yeah, that's Schubert, definitely. Did you get that, Zach? I did. So I'm two for four. Happy is the man who finds a true friend, and far happier is he who finds that true friend in his wife. Who do you think said that? Merwin, who do you think? I flipped a coin and ended up with Beethoven. What do you say, I flipped the coin. I got the other side of the coin. (laughs) I'm Schubert over here. The answer is Schubert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And finally, for this part of the quiz, only the pure in heart can make a good soup. Who do we think? I had Beethoven for that. That was Beethoven, yes. It was Beethoven. Beethoven was also a soup maker, you know, celebrated soup maker. I don't know. I'm just making that up, but it's a good story. Well, now, who won? I wasn't keeping track. I think Alain got five. I have five, yeah. 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 I had four, so I'm only as good as Merwin. (laughs) I I missed the obvious one. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) The fourth one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, for all the talk we're talking about the greatness of Beethoven and the greatness of uh, Schubert, I have to say it's my fifth year with the orchestra. Let's talk about the greatness of Elaine Trudeau. No, I have to say, <laughs> no, not at all. No, it's the greatness of our orchestra, you yeah, know? Yeah, And all, the, all we've done together also, I mean, they were great before I got here, but that... I mean, just the working together and the musically, like it's the journey we're having. Uh, of course, I truly feel we're, we're, you know, it's unfinished yet. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're we're in the middle of something, but 
already, I mean, there's something, I mean, for me, discovering the Midwest, discovering the, the attitude of the people, it's a, it's a great place, great place to be. It's a great place to make music. And, yeah. you know, Toledo is, uh, people are, when we have our artists coming in, they always leave saying, like, what a great orchestra. And it's yeah. like, for us, it's like, you know, you cannot find better ambassadors than the people who come to play with us. And each time, each time they come in and say, wow, this is great setting, great atmosphere, great orchestra. So I'm so proud of the orchestra. Yeah, and a celebration of you is a celebration by proxy of the community, of the audience, of yeah. the music, uh, of people like Merwin for performing the music and bringing it to life, for people like Zach who yeah. you know has the vision to keep the symphony on the path, mm. and you providing leadership in the music area. I mean, it's a it's it's all connected. You know, we could have called this five years of uh, incredible, beautiful teamwork. We could have called mm. this. You know, five, five years of uh, a tremendous music making by this orchestra. But, you know, it's it just so happens it's my fifth year here. But, I mean, you know, this is, I'm, I just feel blessed to be around this group of people. It's really amazing. Wonderful. This concert is happening uh, Friday and Saturday. It's November 4th and 5th, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art, Paris Style, Elaine Trudell, conducting with guest pianist Awadajan Pratt, whom we talked with earlier. He's performing a new work by Jesse Montgomery called Rounds. But we're also going to hear that unfinished symphony of Franz Schubert and, of course, the iconic Symphony Number no. 5 by Ludwig van Beethoven. You can find more information all about that concert by going to their website, that's at toledosymphony.com, or call them up at 419-246-8000. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. Don't forget to check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Elaine Trudell, Zach Vasser, Merwin Sue, and our special guest, Awadachin Pratt. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.